Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this is a blessing to you. Let's jump into the sermon. I always tell anybody who is, has talent in the area of visual art, like that I am in awe of them. I can't do these things. I got words. I got plenty of those. Uh, but there's something about the, the visual arts that conveys something that words cannot. I'll try. Uh, but uh, what that video to me speaks is that thread, that beautiful thread that weaves through every story, every page, every word of Scripture, that same thread from beginning to end that tells the story of God's redeeming love. That, for the next 15 weeks, is the thread that we are all going to be following together. And today, as we start on this journey together, we are going to be talking about the Bible. We're going to talk about what it is and what it does as we seek to read through it together. And since we are talking about the Bible, let me say parenthetically that it would be really helpful to have one in front of you. We want to encourage you to, uh, if you don't have it today, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles, but through this series, get a Bible, bring your Bible, carry it with you to church. We can have a contest to say who brings it most often. Somebody suggested last service, maybe see who has the, the oldest or the biggest Bibles. Those are the things you can brag about, right? No. Uh, but bring it with you. If you don't have one that you read regularly, we've got them for sale out in the commons. We want everybody reading, flipping through, dog-earing, marking up your Bible so it can be God's living word to you. Uh, but as you get a Bible in your hands, before we open it up today, I want us to start out by talking about what the Bible is. And to do so, first I want to actually talk about what the Bible is not. We get some kind of false ideas out there about what the Bible is. We're going to talk about what it's not. The first thing it is not is the Bible is not a history book. Right? We th sometimes think that the, the Bible, is, it's a history book. It's a, a story of all these things that happened to all these people a long, long time ago. And while the Bible does indeed contain a fair amount of history, it does tell stories of people who actually lived and things that actually happened. That's not its purpose. The Bible is not a history book. Some people think about the Bible, they think it's a a rule book. It's a book full of, of rules, a guidebook that tells me all the things I'm supposed to do and the things I'm not supposed to do, the, the ways I'm supposed to live my life and the ways I am not supposed to live my life. And again, while the Bible does indeed contain a fair number of shalls and shalt nots, it does give us some great wisdom for how to engage in relationships and do business, raise kids, and all the other stuff of life. Again, that's not its primary purpose. The, the Bible is not a rule book. Some look at the Bible and they see it as kind of a magic book. Right? We have people place their right hand on the Bible when they're being sworn in in court or when they're being, uh, taking up public office as if you know, laying your hand on that book has some power that if you don't uh, tell the truth or don't live up to your promises, somehow it might smite you. Some of us can remember growing up in households where, you know, maybe we had Grandma's Bible with the golden pages. And Grandma's Bible, you didn't touch Grandma's Bible. It sat on the, the coffee table or up on the shelf, and, and you didn't breathe on it because whew, that's the Bible. 
Make no mistake, the Bible does have power. There are several countries, governments today, that ban a person from owning a Bible, from having one in your home, because they know that the power that lies in this book, but that doesn't make it magic. So the Bible is not a history book, it's not a rule book or a magic book. In fact, we're getting really true here, the Bible isn't a book at all. The Bible's not a book, the Bible is a library of books. The Bible is comprised of 66 different books, 66 unique books split into two halves, the Old Testament and the New And in the middle, the thing that divides those two testaments is the story of the life of Jesus. Jesus stands at the center of all of it, and so he is the one who holds our Bible together. So 66 books containing stories, poetry, love letters, letters to friends, letters to churches, prophetic vision, instructions, corrections. There's all these different genres in here written by all these different authors, up to 40 of them. 40 different men and women writing in different styles over all these many years. This entire library of books tells one story tells the one story of the redeeming love of God. You know, here's what's amazing about the Bible. There's there's a miracle of the Bible. You know, we think the Bible tells stories of miracles. The miracle is the Bible. That all these different books and stories and narratives, that all of it, all these coming from different places would be so complete cohesive, so complete in the one story it has to tell. So, what is the Bible? If anybody ever asks you, if you go on Jeopardy, you can answer. The Bible is a library of 66 books made of different genres, written by at least 40 different authors, all from different walks of life over the span of 1,500 years that tells the one cohesive story of the redeeming love of God. You got that? Right, you'll have that right, right, right ready, right? Well, I'll tell you one more time. The Bible is a library of 66 books made of different genres, written by at least 40 different authors from different walks of life over the span of 1,500 years that tells the one cohesive story of the redeeming love of God. But there's more to it than that. The Bible itself tells us a little bit about what It is. You heard it read just a few minutes ago from 2 Timothy. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the person of God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. There's that phrase in there that scripture is inspired by God. And there's a couple things about what that means. First thing that it means when we say that the Bible is inspired by God is that we say we believe that Scripture is inspired in its composition. It's inspired in its composition. Now, that doesn't mean that these are God's word verbatim. God didn't write them, and the Bible didn't, you know, fall from the sky as it is. But these 
words, they are God-inspired. You may be familiar with versions of scripture that say that these are God-breathed. What that means is that the Holy Spirit worked through, spoke through these 40 men and women who wrote these words down. These are the words that God wanted us to have. These words were inspired by God in their composition. And these words are inspired by God in their reception. Just as the Holy Spirit inspired those who wrote them, the Holy Spirit inspires us as we read them, as we receive them, as they become God's word to us. So the Bible is inspired by God, and it is useful. It's useful for our lives. It's useful to to show us, to lead us in how we are to live, what to do, where to turn, what's right, what's wrong, how to live good and God-honoring lives. So a little more simple definition. The Bible is the, the story of God's redeeming love that is useful for every area of our lives. So that's what the Bible is. Talk a little bit about what the Bible does, what reading the Bible does to us, for us, in us. And to that end, I want us to read the Bible together. So with the Bible you have around you, you can turn to Psalm 119. A little trick with the Psalms, if you have a hard time finding it, it's right in the middle. And the 119th Psalm is a really long one. Uh, over 100 verses, so uh, find your way there, and in a second we're going to start with verse 97. But to just give you a little background as you flip and find the page, many of the Psalms, this one included, were thought to be written by King David. Now King David, he started out his life not as a king, but as a lowly shepherd, Shepherd that nobody thought anything would happen with this guy. And he, he kind of gets conscripted un, uh, unknowingly uh, into King Saul's army, becomes a warrior in, in King Saul's army. He gets anointed to be the successor to King Saul, which King Saul is not particularly happy about. And so he actually spends a good portion of his young adulthood on the run for his life, people trying to kill him. So All this to say, to understand his life story, is to understand that Paul is not a theologian. He's not a pastor. King David, he's just a guy. He's a dude. He's like all of us. And so when we come to read his words, read them with that understanding. And and here's what he says about God's word. We're going to start at verse 97. He says, oh, how I love your law. If you have your own Bible in your hands, you can take a pen or a pencil and underline or highlight or circle that word love. It's okay to write in Bibles, sometimes actually really even helpful. That's one of the ways it becomes God's word to us. He says, I love your law. I love it. Just for your understanding as you do your reading, when we come across in the Old Testament, when it uses that word law, it's actually not meant, you know, I love the rules. The law is shorthand for the whole of the Old Testament. So when David says that, he says, "How you could replace that with how I love your word, how I love the Bible, how I love God's word and the God who gave it to me. 
Now, something interesting to note in that when he says that, when he says, I love the Bible, the Bible that he's speaking of isn't the, the Old and New Testament that we have before us today. The Bible that David had was just the first seven books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. That was his Bible. That's the law. And thinking about it, I, I wonder if any of us, uh, me included, have ever made the goal, maybe set the New Year's resolution to say, okay, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. Have we done this? And you set that goal and you set down to read with great enthusiasm and you start reading Genesis and you're like, that's cool, I know these stories, I learned these in Sunday school and they're, they're engaging, they're interesting, and even Exodus, you know, they're crossing the Red Sea and it's, again, kind of cool and interesting and then you get at Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus and that's where maybe you hit a speed bump or just the end. Like you'd start reading and you're like, I don't, uh, next year, we'll do it. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet this, right? That's all David had. And so when he says, how oh, I love your law, you gotta think about, it. you think it's, it is indeed dated to us, but it was dated even to, to David. These words were written at least 400 years before his life. So just know, if you've ever avoided or, or resisted reading the Bible because it's hard or confusing or, or feels a little dated, David's no different. And yet here he is saying he loves the Bible. And he gives us reasons why, going back to the text. He says, how I love your law, it is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. David says the Bible is his meditation all day long, that it's always with him, always on his mind, always in his heart. And because of that, because he's always thinking about the Bible, he says it makes him wiser than his enemies. Now, in David's world, he had some actual enemies. He had some people who were out to get him, people who wanted to kill him. In our world today, I think it's safe to say that most of us don't have enemies like that. If you do, please come to talk to me and Dave after the service. We'd like to help. <laughs> but we still have enemies, all of us. We still have enemies out there that would seek to take life from us, take us away from the life that God has for us. Busyness, work, money. They can all be enemies when you let them, when you give yourself too much to them. There are relationships that can be enemies when they're not only unhealthy, but they're destructive, when, when they're harmful. There are habits and addictions that can be enemies. So here's what David says. He says, when I love this book, when my, I fill my life with its words, I'm actually wiser than those enemies. I can outmove them. I can outthink them. I can anticipate them. Whatever enemy comes at me and tries to pull me away from the life that God has for me, this book gives me what I need to live. So moving on to verse 99. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. 
I understand more than the aged. Little Bible reading, Bible study tool, you, you know, we all know as you read this, there's no bold faced print, no underline. That's not something they had at the time of, of writing scripture. That's a tool we use for emphasis, right? Underline the words, bold face it, make sure you see it. In scripture, instead of using that tool, what they used was repetition. So anytime you're reading a passage and you see a word or a phrase repeated more than once, they're trying to say, pay attention to this. This is what's important. So in these short couple sentences, he uses that word. Did you see it? Understanding. That's there twice. So again, if you want to in your Bible, underline it or circle it, that to pull your attention. Understanding, it's, it's different than knowledge, isn't it? Understanding implies not just knowing a fact, but having wisdom, having discernment, having deeper insight. Somebody who has great understanding can, can look at things that really smart people know and see a deeper truth behind it. Uh, somebody who's really smart, you know, if you think like a dot-to-dot -dot picture, right? Somebody who's really smart can see all the dots. Somebody with great understanding sees the line that connects them and the picture that they create. So, David says, I have so saturated myself with these words that I have more understanding. I have deeper insight than some people that lived a, have lived a whole lot longer than me. More than my teachers, more than my elders. Here's what it gets down to. David says, that reading the Bible has power to make you wise beyond your years. So how does it do that? Going on to verse 100. He says, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Do you hear some repetition there again? The word keep. It's there twice. As he's saying here, he says, we don't just read these words and say, oh, well, isn't that an interesting idea, this objective truth out there? No, we, if we want understanding, if we want wisdom, if we want protection from our enemies, David says that happens when we keep these words. When we take them in and actually apply them to our lives, when we obey them, when we put them into practice. Verse 102, I do not turn away from your ordinances for you have taught me. Here's where this scripture and the one we heard read earlier come in to uh, complement each other. David unknowingly here is expressing the same concept that Paul was saying when he said all scripture is inspired by God. He's saying these words, it's not just the words that teach me, it's God who teaches me through them. You have taught me. He's saying that when we read this book, it's not just words on a page, it's God himself speaking to us, teaching us engaging in a relationship with us through the words in this book. Finishing up with verse 105, he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Those familiar words to many of us. There's an old song that some of us may have sung growing up going to camp. I did. But remember, in David's world, there's no electricity, Right? And so when it gets dark at night, it gets 
dark, and if you wanted to get safely from one place to another, once the sun has gone down, you needed a lamp to see. You needed a light for your path. Scripture does that for me, David says. It's a guiding light. As we think about our lives, as we try to discern the steps we're supposed to take, the direction we ought to go, we can read these words and they will illuminate the path. They give us direction. They give us discernment. They give us safe passage through a world that can sometimes be very, very dark. So you can see why David loved these words, these words that when he read them, when he took them in, they made him wiser than his enemies. They gave him greater understanding. They helped him see the world with greater insight. These words kept him on the right path and directed him which way to go. And they can do the same thing for you. So as we close, I want to tell you how. How the Bible can be just as powerful in your life as it was in David's. And to that end, I've come up with a, a list of a few do's and don'ts for reading the Bible. So here's the first set. Don't, un, don't worry if you don't understand it all right away. Do welcome questions. Do welcome questions and the growth that comes with them. For this series, as we put it together as a staff, we made a very purposeful choice to have you do the Bible reading, the Bible readings that are listed here in this book, to have you do them on your own before you hear the sermon. We're doing it this way because we actually know that the Bible can be confusing and we want us all to wrestle with it a little bit. Uh, to help you with this, in addition to this book, out on the, the table out in the commons, we made this handy dandy little plan. It just kind of lines up that you, each week we read, we listen, we learn, we discuss. Read, listen, learn, discuss, and kind of goes in a cyclical pattern. But the point being, you read the scripture. So starting tomorrow, the scripture we're gonna read is in week one, all about the creation narrative. And we want you to read it before you hear the sermon about it so that you can ask those questions. You're not coming in saying, you know, to your Bible reading going, ah, oh, well, Becca said or Dave said, so that must be true. You're gonna read it and go, what in the heck is that? And that's great. As you encounter questions, write them down. Discuss them with your small group. If they're really kind of irking at you, come for me and for Dave and ask us out to coffee to talk about those questions. We would love nothing more. And I'll tell you, for some of those questions you encounter, we'll have an answer. But for some of them, we won't. For some of the questions you encounter in scripture, we're gonna say, yeah, isn't that confusing? We're wrestling with that too. And that's okay. That's okay. Questions are okay. We read the Bible not to get easy answers, but to engage in relationship with a living God, a living God who gets bigger and a little bit more beyond our comprehension the more we get to know him. So don't worry if you don't get it right away and do welcome the questions. Second, don't and do, don't read alone. Do invite others in. First and foremost, invite God into your reading. 
Remember, God wants to speak to you through these words, so be sure to invite him in. Every time you sit down to read, start with just a moment of prayer. Ask God, who breathed life into the formation of these words oh so long ago, to breathe that same life into your heart, to make them come alive for you now. Pray for an open mind, a teachable spirit, and a heart soft enough to receive the comfort or challenge that these words can bring. So invite God in, also invite other people in. I am always amazed when I read scripture in community. I'll read a passage and think, oh yeah, I think that's what it's saying, that's interesting, and then I'll come to my small group and I'll share what I thought and somebody will say, oh, well I thought blah, 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 blah. You know, and I'm like, mind blown at the different ways that all of us reading the same passage can, can get a totally different insight. And so we see this much, much bigger picture of who God is when we read scripture together. So if you're in a small group already, I wanna encourage you, we've said this before, re-engage, recommit together to be going through long story short together in a group. If you're not in a group yet, we would love nothing more to, than to plug you into one so we can invite God into our reading and we can invite God in through each other in our reading. Third, don't read as an impassive observer of the story do read as an active participant in the story. You'll notice when you get your devotional on page five here, we have a number of questions. It says it's you know, in the introduction, but I would dog ear this page and bring it with you every time you sit down to read. They are questions that encourage us and lead us to take what we've read and put it into practice. Remember, this isn't a history book. It's not meant to be read as a story of something that happened a long time ago. It's something that's meant to be read as a living word of something that's happening today. A word that is meant to be lived by us today. This weekend, we celebrate the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who fought powerfully for racial justice in this country. Make no mistake, Dr. King wasn't just a good person. His fight for equal rights for all people wasn't just a nice humanitarian ideal. It was Dr. King's knowledge of, love for, and deep commitment to scripture that launched him into and fueled his pursuit of equality and justice for all. And so when Dr. King opened his Bible, and he read passages like Amos 5.24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He knew and he said, yes, that stream flowed back in Amos' time and it needs to keep flowing in our time. When he famously said, I have a dream, one of the dreams he articulated came straight from the prophet Isaiah. And he proclaimed, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. And when Dr. King read Jesus' command to love our enemies, well, he didn't just say, oh, well, isn't that a nice idea? 
He looked out on a world, sea of faces who hated him and people who looked like him. And he said, yep, we got to love them too. Don't think that you can read this book and then do nothing about it. If you read it with open hands and an open heart, with a willingness to be drawn into God's ongoing story, you will be amazed what God can do in you and what God may do through you. Final don't and do. First one is don't don't think it's up to you to quote-unquote find God. You know, there's a danger in any entering into any spiritual practice, whether it's reading the Bible or prayer or worship or, or, or any of those, those things, we sometimes think that it's all up to us. Like we can get a little gung-ho and think, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to do all the things and work hard and do everything right. And I'm going to get myself to God as a spiritual master. Maybe that's just me. But the reality is it has never been up to us to get ourselves to God. What we do when we read scripture is we do let Jesus find us. Do let Jesus find you. Talking about the Bible, the great reformer, Martin Luther, the other Martin Luther, he once said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It, it has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It takes a hold of me. We say that the Bible is the word of God in print, which always acts in service to the word of God made flesh. That is Jesus. The Bible isn't an end in of itself. The Bible points to Jesus. It tells us about Jesus, but more importantly, it brings us to Jesus. And through it, Jesus finds us. Jesus speaks to us. Jesus runs after us. Jesus takes a hold of us. Remember, this whole thing is the story of God's redeeming love, God's redeeming love, which finds its end in Jesus. Jesus is the one to whom this whole book points. So you're never, you will never fully, completely, wholly understand this book, the word of God in print, until you give yourself to the word of God made flesh, to Jesus. So let's do that now. As we turn to God in prayer, as Dave leads us. Thanks for listening. For more information on how to get connected here at Knox, please visit knoxprez.org.